We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Today, I'm excited to bring you Lauren Alvarez. She is a certified elementary school counselor, a parent educator, therapist, and current LPC candidate working towards licensure. Lauren loves helping parents and individuals connect to information that will help them navigate life. Today's conversation with Lauren is taken from a training she hosted with Oklahoma Family Network with a focus on mindful self-compassion. In this training conversation, you will hear Lauren mention scores from a self-compassion test created by Dr. Kristen Neff. So if you get a moment, please see the link provided in the narrative or search self-compassion test and complete it for full participation in our conversation today. Thank you again for joining us. And now you will hear more from Lauren Alvarez. The world is kind of stressed out right now. Now we have another holiday season coming up and, and it kind of feels like maybe the first somewhat normal holiday, if you could even say there ever really is normal ever again. Um, but our whole world has gone through a pretty significant change. Um, definitely magnified by the pandemic. No matter what your thoughts were about the pandemic and COVID and all the things, it had a profound impact on our lives. And so as a school counselor, my administrators, whenever they were serving teachers, what do you want to learn about? What do you want to learn about? And you know what? They didn't want to learn about math reading strategies, reading strategies. They're like, we want to learn about self-care. We want to learn about how to help our kids who are stressed out and who are anxious. And so from that, you know, I thought, well, this could be a great topic for our teachers because service at my school, self-care was the absolute highest need because the pandemic had taken a toll on teachers significantly. Our whole worlds were also changed. Um, And, you know, in a disaster, you know, so we could call the pandemic a pretty significant disaster. During the pre-disaster phase, all of us were feeling vulnerable and worried. How are we going to protect myself? How are we going to protect my family? Then there's that impact phase where there's that confusion, disbelief, and now I'm focused on preserving myself and my family. And then there's the heroic phase. Everyone jumped in to help. And I will say teachers were definitely heroes. You know, frontline workers were heroes, but all of us were heroes. All of us had to make sacrifices during this time. And then there's the kind of honeymoon phase. Okay, we're optimistic. We're going to get ahead of this thing. We're making some progress, understanding. And then I would say a lot of us are in the disillusionment and reconstruction phase where, you know, the the long-term impacts are still affecting us. You know, we're seeing this, I don't know if you're seeing it in your workplace, but at school, we're seeing it with behaviors. This particular kindergarten class that we have and nationwide, there are similar stories. Um, It is, it's sometimes it feels like a, because the pandemic hits when they were three, you know, and that just completely disrupted their typical social emotional development, play dates, you know, school shut down, um, parent, everyone was stressed out. And now we're seeing some of those long term effects. And so it's a good time for us to really in self compassion. Um, I had never heard the term self compassion or mindful self compassion until that graduate school class. And so here's what self compassion is 
it involves responding to ourselves in the same supportive and understanding way that you would a good friend when you're having a difficult time or fail or notice something you don't like about yourself. Here's what we would never do to a friend. A friend comes to us and say, I'm just so frustrated. I just can't seem to keep up with stuff. We would never go to our friend. Yes, do would actually wake up on time and get organized. Maybe you could get ahead of things. We would never say that to a friend. Well, and if you said that to your friend, they probably wouldn't be your friend, you know, so. Uh, but how do we talk to ourselves? Come on, Lauren, you should know better. What is wrong with you? We so often tear ourselves down how we talk out loud to ourselves or our inner thought life. And I'm such a big fan of the brain. Well, I'm a fan of the brain because that's what makes everything work. But I'm just such a big fan of understanding the brain. When we're having certain negative thoughts, it's releasing adrenaline and cortisol, the stress hormones and lots of other things that's impacting us all over in our body, in our mood, in uh, our sleep. And, you know, if we are having a lot of that negative self-talk, it really works against us in so many ways. But we don't know how to talk to ourselves like we would a good friend. It's an acquired skill. I'm a people helper. I'm in education. Um, I'm a counselor. I scored horribly low. And you'll find that a lot of people who are very thoughtful, compassionate, giving are not always so kind to ourselves. So, and with this theme of being kind, I have to learn to be kind to myself and that it is easier to be kind to others. Sometimes if we're like, I just want to be nicer, <laughs> we have to learn to be nice to ourselves. Instead of trying to be nice, it then flows out of you. And I think that's been the most significant difference I've noticed in myself. And again, this was a learned skill for me. And what really got my attention was my score. I'm like, oh, I thought I had tons of self-compassion, but nope, apparently I don't. And it, it was kind of eye-opening for me. Um, and as I've gradually, gradually changed um, and, and changed how I think about things, my re, how I reflect about myself, how, how I treat myself, um, it has really flowed out to where um, it's just an extension of compassion to others. So it's, I don't have to try to be kind and patient. I just am kind and patient because I've learned to be kind and patient to myself. So now there's three parts to mindful self-compassion. First off is self-kindness, learning how to talk to ourselves and treat ourselves like we would a good friend. The other one is this common humanity, realizing that instead of comparing ourselves to others and feeling like we don't measure up, you know what? We share common humanity. We have imperfections. We have struggles. We have occasional failures. Everybody goes through this. Acknowledging that is huge. And for some of us, that's hard to do. Well, I should know better. I shouldn't be going through this. Well, why not? Everybody goes through struggle. Everybody has failures. Everybody has imperfections. So just learning to sit and be comfortable with that is a really powerful thing. And then also mindfulness. That is learning to be present in the current moment, not worrying about this or frustrated about this or this happened yesterday or this might happen tomorrow, but learning to be comfortable even with uncomfortable feelings. Um, I have a little boy meeting with this week in my school counselor office and his dog just died and he was devastated. I mean, just devastated. But he kept trying, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be crying. And I'm like, yeah, you should. 
it's okay. Let's sit in here and cry together. Because you know what? You're sad. And it's okay to be sad about this. And, you know, it's funny, like the tears just poured out. And then he actually did feel better. Versus he had been trying to stuff it down for the first three hours of school. And when he was able to pour that out and spend 20 minutes sitting in that discomfort with support, he actually walked out feeling lighter. So, you know, really like to sit in uncomfortable feelings. And it doesn't mean all our feelings have to be uncomfortable, but that's an important skill to also learn how to do. That was not a skill that I had. I had a great skill about pushing things down. Come on, you don't have time for this, you know, or just staying busy. And so all of these areas, learning to be kind to ourselves, just recognizing this common humanity so we can give ourselves a break sometimes and having that mindfulness that really helps develop your mindful self-compassion. Now, this is the step that really kind of blew me away. As a school counselor, you know, and as a human, I'd always heard all this talk about self-esteem. We want kids and we want ourselves to have a high self-esteem without really thinking much more about what builds your self-esteem and how does that compare to self-compassion? So this one really was very eye-opening for me. So self-esteem at its core, as I evaluate myself and my self-worth, you know, where I judge if I'm a good or a bad person. If I have a high self-esteem, I feel like I'm a good person. If I have a low self-esteem, I don't feel like I'm a good person. Well, how do I feel like I'm a good person? To have high self-esteem, I kind of have to somehow believe I'm special, that I'm above average. Well, yeah, like I'm above average in how nice I am. I'm above average in my intelligence. I'm above average in whatever it is that we like to measure ourselves by, how I keep my house clean or how successful I am or how much money I make or whatever. I mean, the, 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 the bar that we measure ourselves with is different for everybody. And that's very influenced by how you were raised. And, you know, the environment in which you live, so many different things contribute to that. Then you'll notice that the things that were important to you that made you feel good or bad about yourself, they change over time. The stuff that bothered me when I was a 20 year old, like doesn't even like, I can't even believe that bothered me. You know, now it's so insignificant. But you know what? When I was in my 20s and when I was in my teens, it was significant. It did bother me. So to have a high self-esteem, I have to believe I'm somehow above average. It kind of depends, a high self-esteem kind of depends on success. It can lead without realizing it, it's kind of got a dark side. It can lead to me trying to find ways to lift myself up by putting others down. Now, here's something I know about myself. I would never out loud say, well, I'm better than them. They've got problems but I would think it. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I'm glad my life's not a mess like them. And I think one of the great equalizers in my life is when I went through a really, really heartbreaking divorce and um, jumped into single parenthood. And that had never been on my plan of things that were going to happen to me in my life. And then I had to go to food banks and then I had to sign up for And then I had all these emotional things that I had to go through with my children and myself that were all part of that healing and adjusting to this new reality. And somehow I was no longer better than those people. 
And I know it sounds so callous to say that, but that's sometimes how we think. And it was, I call it the best, worst thing that ever happened to me because it stripped away all of the things that I typically used to kind of feel proud about. And I'm not saying you shouldn't feel proud about things, but is that pride coming from comparison? And without realizing it for a lot of us, it really is. And it can also, without realizing it, kind of lead to some prejudice, somehow believing that my group is better than another group, whatever that group is. I mean, you remember being a teenager, you're the cliques, you know, and I'm better, I'm a better athlete, I'm a better this, I'm a better that. You know, we're always trying to find our thing that's better than others. But if we want to keep building our self-esteem, which is different than self-compassion, um, at its core, it's kind of based in comparison. Now, self-compassion is completely different. Self-compassion is a way to re of relating to ourselves kindly. Some of that I have found comes with age. Because the stuff that used to bother us, it just becomes less important. But some of it comes with skill too. learning to look at things a little bit differently. It's a way of kindly like, yeah, Lauren, yep, yep. It would have been nice if you woke up on time and you weren't in a rush. Maybe tomorrow we can do better versus, oh, come on. Just that difference in thinking creates a whole different internal emotional reaction. The other thing about self-compassion is it offers all the benefits of self-esteem, you know, the feeling good and the, and the, and the joy and those kinds of things like you need to compare socially to others, because at a certain point, there's always going to be someone who's better than you at whatever it is. Um, and if there's always something better than me at whatever it is, then that's going to make me feel bad. If I truly practice self-compassion, it's not even based in comparison. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be like, everything's okay. I can do whatever I want because that's common humanity. It's not giving yourself a free pass for everything. It's just based on the different foundation. Because when self-esteem deserts you, self-compassion steps in. And it gives us a sense of being valuable just because of who I am. I have value and I have worth because I am a human being on this earth. And I am doing the best I can with the tools that I have in my toolbox. And like Maya Angelou says, we do, we do as good as we can. Um, we do what we know until we know better. And then we do better. You know, a lot of us, as we're growing and changing through life, we've learned new things that we didn't know before when we were making, yeah, some foolish mistakes. So it's just a different foundation. It doesn't require me to compare myself to others. It just requires me to approach myself with kindness. If I can approach myself with kindness, I can actually be honest. I can be honest with myself. Yep, this is an area that really could use some growth, but I don't have to experience shame about that. Like I'm bad, I should know better. Nope, this is an area that really could use some growth. We hide away from things that make us feel ashamed, but I can handle open, honest communication when it's done in love. So, so seeing these two things side by side, it's, it's, it, it really was helpful for me. Now, when it comes to failure, self-esteem can be really tough on us. Since self-esteem is dependent on me being successful or somehow better or above average, because everyone can't be above average, but you know, response to failure often is judgmental. It's critical. It's trying to bring about change, try harder, or that shame response or harsh correction. Come on, Born, you should know better. Or we can do this to our kids too, um, or to others around us or to our family members without realizing it. Here's 
here's where it's coming. We want to bring about change. That doesn't bring about effective change. Now, this is so, this is what blows me away. When we think about it from a brain perspective, when, whether it's inside my own thought life or talking out loud to myself, if I've failed and my whole self-concept and feelings of goodness in myself are based on self-esteem alone, when I fail and I have that judgmental, critical, harsh response, what that actually does in the brain is it creates a threat response. It releases cortisol, builds up stress, and the stressed out brain that's flooded with cortisol, that is not a good brain-based state for change. And it makes motivation low because when we feel ashamed, we want to hide. It might bring about temporary change, but nothing permanent. And it just like coasts us to the next failure. So in our brains, when we are judgmental, harsh, and critical to ourselves, we are making our own brain work against us, even if it's our internal self-talk, because with those thoughts, there are brain chemicals to go along with that. Now, this is really cool. Self-compassion and failure, because we will fail. I respond with empathy or kindness. What can I do to help? Okay. It doesn't mean I ignore what happened or deny that it happened, but I'm going to respond with empathy. Yep. This is a really tough time you're going through. Yep. That probably wasn't the nicest response. Um, wonder what we could do differently. It's a totally different vibe, I guess you would say. And when we have that kind of warm self-response and empathetic self-response, understanding self-response, our brains can't help ourselves. We are designed to respond to warmth, gentle touch, gentle tone. Our brains are designed to really respond to that. So when we respond to ourselves and others, but especially to ourselves with empathy, that activates the caregiving response. Our brains release oxytocin and all the feel-good endorphins and natural opiates that our brain produces, and that creates a great state for motivation. Now, both things are failures. In both of these situations, a failure has occurred. Could be a big failure, could be a medium failure, could be just your average everyday failure, but a failure has occurred. There's no denying that a failure or a mistake has occurred. Self-esteem response, harsh, critical, how could you? Self-compassion, learning to respond with empathy, just like we would to a friend, learning to respond to herself that way. Both create completely different states of the brain. Now, what's going to help you change? When you are feeling your brain is feeling threatened and flooded with cortisol, and when your brain is feeling warmth and acceptance, flooded with uh, uh, oxytocin and, and the, the feel-good chemicals, like, yeah, I can do, I can do better. Mm -hmm. I can do that. It's a totally different state of the brain. And I think that's what's been such a surprising difference for me. And it's, I'm not perfect at all, but I am different. And I'm not as stressed out. Things don't bother me. You know what else doesn't bother me so much? Other people's failures. I truly can respond with empathy and compassion to my little knuckleheads at that are frustrating children that other people want to tear their hair out about, not to say that I enjoy their misbehavior, but it's a totally different 
approach. When I've got a parent who's doing that nasty, mean, horrible email, the school this and the school that, and I can think for a minute, that parent must really be afraid right now. I bet they're scared. This is pretty hard. It must be hard to get a lot of that negative feedback from the teacher, even though it's legitimate. That must be hard. When I can respond that way, that I talk differently to the parent and they can feel it and we get somewhere. So such a difference when it comes to failure. I wish I had known this when I was younger and I'm very grateful that I've learned it more in time because it's really helped me with my own daughter. I have a 12 year old daughter. I also have 21, 24, 26 year old sons. And I was terrified to have a daughter like, oh my gosh, I didn't want her to go through the challenges like me. Well, you know what the difference was in those challenges? In my challenges, my self-esteem was always threatened because it was based on a comparison model. The things I'm trying to teach her are based on a self-compassion model. Now the world is totally based on self-esteem, not on self-compassion. It is born to judge. But I'm trying to teach her to think differently, to think about herself differently, to think about others differently. But I'm having to definitely counteract, you know, some very typical messages that the world is sending out. But I don't see her struggling. Some of our issues are the same, you know, typical developmental issues. But I don't see her struggling on the same level. Now, I hope that helps. I hope it helps through middle school and adolescence and, you know, young adulthood and all those things. Um, but, you know, a lot of the pain, if you really think about it, a lot of our pain actually came from the dark side of self-esteem because sometimes we don't measure up. Self-compassion, you don't have to measure up. Um, there's benefits. It's not based on self-evaluation, self how we measure up for themselves, because guess what? All people deserve compassion and understanding, not based on any kind of traits, whether you're pretty, smart, talented, successful, whatever your little measuring cup might be. It's not, doesn't require that. And with self-compassion, I don't have to feel better than others. But, you know, I would say that in the last six years from learning these principles, my self, my inner self-peace, and it's just totally different. It's like 20 years of growth in, uh, in a much shorter time because age chipped away at my self-esteem because all the things that I used to value, well, you know, you can't look that great for that long, you know, all the things um, I just can't perform at that level like I used to. I just can't with age. So you learn that you have to give up or you're going to be frustrated all the time. But self-compassion, it's just a different, it's just a different thing. So it's not based on evaluation or comparison. It also allows us to be honest with ourselves because personal feelings, I can acknowledge them with kindness and and not feel this shameful need to hide them. It allows for vulnerability. You know what people connect to? Vulnerability. Do you connect to that person that acts like they have it all together? Do you connect to that person that's a personal Instagram where they're always talking about, well, my life is great here and my kids are doing this and da da da? Do we connect to those people? No. Without realizing it, they're just laying out statistics. We feel bad around those people because we're like, well, we don't have those statistics to have those statistics anymore. So self-compassion, again, isn't like this free pass. Oh, well, I can do whatever I want because it's common humanity. No, but I can be honest with myself and I'm more motivated for change because it's not coming from shame. Self-compassion isn't dependent on external circumstances either. It's available all the time. 
in the good times and the rough times. And research shows that when it compares self-esteem to self-compassion, um, if you have higher elements of self-compassion, you have greater emotional resilience. That means we can bounce back when, in difficult emotional times. We are actually have more accurate self-concepts too. Like I'm so honest with myself that I don't have to myself in order to feel good. Typically have more caring relationship behavior and a lot less narcissism, which is kind of like being self-absorbed. Also a lot less reactive anger. A lot of anger comes from fear and pain. And if I'm feeling shame, that's pain. And I can have a lot more anger in my life. And that has been a big surprise because I've always been kind of, um, I was, uh, I, I call it passionate. Some people might call it being a hothead, <laughs> but I've always felt this strong, um, strong emotions. But, um, and I just found myself, you know, like stuff just doesn't take me off so much anymore. It's, it's, it's weird. So not to say that I never get ticked off because this is just an area of continued growth, but it all started with a shift in perspective and understanding. So now some of us were able to take that self-compassion test when we started. Take a look at your scores, okay? You can Google mindful self-compassion test. I think it's 26 or 27 questions. Um, and let's take a couple minutes. If you've already finished it, Take a look at your scores and your description of those, and we're going to kind of break those down. Okay, let's look at these scores. This is, I think, what shocked me. Back a couple of slides ago, what are the benefits of self-compassion? It said you have a more accurate self-concept. I thought I was going to knock this test out of the park because I was used to doing good in school. I'm slightly competitive in that area, and I did not have a good score. Um, in 2017, I scored a 2.5. So the average score is three. If you score between one and 2.5 for your overall self-compassion score, that kind of shows you have low self-compassion. And guess what? You do not have to be ashamed about that. It just is what it is. So in my own mind, in my self-concept of myself, I thought I was going to have a high self-compassion because I'm really nice to other people. Not nice to myself. Um, if you score between 2.5 and 3.5 on your overall self-compassion score, then you have moderate self-compassion. And if you score between 3.5 and 5.0, means you have um, your high in self-compassion. So I um, went up I went up a lot between when I took it in 2017 and when I took it in 2022. Now, some of my scores haven't changed. And, you know, that's what I like about this is you can take it. Again, this could be a really cool thing if you have a friendship group. And every January, what if we were to take this? And maybe maybe we set some of our New Year's goals based on, hey, I want to I wanna grow in this area. Not, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm scoring low on self-compassion. But so with your self-kindness, if you score a 3.5 or above, then you're high in self-kindness. Now, there's also some opposite skills. If you scored high in self-judgment, isolation, or over-identification, um, scoring high in those areas actually means you're low in self-compassion. It was kind of a way for the test to, to validate itself. So um, that is uh, an important thing to be aware of. Um, but all of these little areas are ways that we can grow. A score got my attention. I'm like, oh. I would have thought I was really high in self-kindness because I'm really kind to others. 
but between 2017 and 2022, I went from a 2.5, which is low, to a 3.6, I'm high in self-kindness. Um, you know, I went from common humanity that, you know, understanding that other people go through tough times, which I thought I would have that down because I'm very compassionate towards others and love to connect people to resources. And I scored low in that area versus high in uh, common humanity now, just with some of the changes, gradual changes in perspective. And it's not about the score. When, I, when I've given this multiple times to different groups, they're, feel, they're like feel bad that they got a score that indicates they have low self-compassion. You don't have to feel bad. It is what it is. I gave this presentation at the Oklahoma School Counselor Association, one of their conferences as in, in one of the breakout workshops. I mean, across the board, school counselors scored horribly. And where does that come from? Well, that comes from, you know, our history. That comes from <laughs> our parents. You know, how did they talk to us? You know, I definitely came from a very harsh, very critical environment. My parents were trying to help us improve. I will tell you, the world is not a place full of mindful self-compassion. The world is a place full of criticism and harshness and judgment. And it kind of, if you even think about the whole marketing system in the United States of America, to get you to buy stuff, it tries to make you feel bad. You need more of this. And then, then. Um, what there's this one song going out around. I think I'm a little more tuned into these kinds of things. Um, having a daughter, you know, so like there's different things that kind of catch my radar. And there's a whole song about, I know Victoria's Secret. It was made up by a dude. And it's talking about how some guy just made up Victoria's Secret and the standards of what's supposed to be beautiful. Well, I mean, those are pretty difficult standards to maintain. And who is he to say what's supposed to be beautiful? Um, and who is he to set that bar there in any way, shape or form to make my daughter feel bad about herself? Um, you know, and, it, it, and the song was written when a babysitter the little girl that she babysits often came home crying because she had gone bathing suit shopping with her friends and her friends are like, Ooh, that does, that swimsuit doesn't make you look good. And she came home embarrassed about her body, which was a perfectly fine little body. Um, and so her babysitter um, wrote the song and it's actually really struck a nerve. So, you know, our, our environment, you know, there's just a lot of shame that can be, uh, that can be put on us from a young age in an attempt to change behavior and all those kinds of things. But a lot of times we're just doing what we know to do. Um, and then that becomes our inner voice. So, you know, I really want to have compassion on you. This has been grown in you, but you can grow something different. And that has been, I haven't tried to grow in mindful self-compassion. I just have slowly gradually, because it's gradually and permanently changing my perspective on things. So let's kind of look at this, you know, as you look at this, you know, what stands out to you, what surprises you, those are questions to ask yourself. I mean, I was surprised. And of course I was embarrassed. And what did I do in grad school? I started looking at all the other scores other people got. Um, that's where I was at. 
it was all still based in comparison. So what can we do? Okay, great. I scored low in self-compassion or great. I scored high in self-compassion. Where do we go from here? So the Mindful Self-Compassion website, absolutely wonderful. On the Mindful Self-Compassion website, Dr. Kristen Neff is kind of the um, pioneer in this area and actually has done a ton of research. So it's not just the latest feel-good trend. It is very um, well-researched. But there's all these different self-practices and exercises. You know, exercise one, how to treat yourself like a friend. Exercise two, a self-compassion break. Exploring self-compassion through writing. Supportive touch. Changing your critical self-talk. Self-compassion journal. Identifying what we really want. Whole class. Yeah, it was really, really cool. And they were just simple little things. But simple doesn't have to mean it's not profound. Um, and they have all these little audio things you can listen to um, and different. These are kind of more mindful things as well. Um, when I'm feeling shame or I've made a mistake and feel overwhelmed with feelings of comparison, learning how I can sit through that and give myself even comforting touch. So we're going to do one of them right now. All right. So there's one of these and it's called um, supportive touch. So I'm going to click on that one. Now, again, like I mentioned before. Our brain and our wired to automatically positively respond to warm, supportive touch. So if I'm by myself, you know, I can't go up and there's no one to hug me. There's no one to pat me on the back and make me feel better. So one simple exercise that you could do anywhere is when you're noticed under, when you are under stress or starting to feel a little overwhelmed or whatever it be, that's an uncomfortable feeling. Well, how can I on purpose change the state of my brain? So you can create your own supportive touch. So it says, you know, start with two deep breaths. So why don't we do that? Take two nice deep breaths, kind of breathe in and blow out. Breathe in and blow out. And you can put your a supportive touch, put your hand on your heart. Put, or put both your hands on your arms, like you're kind of giving yourself a hug. I like to give myself a hug and kind of rock back and forth. Have your hand on your heart. You could be making circles on your heart, just kind of like a warm, supportive touch. Continue to take that deep breath. So just while you've got your hand on your heart and you're just have a nice, you're just making a small circle with your hand, you can do that for one minute. The warm, supportive touch releases oxytocin and all the good feelings in your brain. I don't have to have someone around me where I'm reliant on someone else to make me feel better. I can help myself feel better. Our bodies are designed to respond to that warmth, that means I'm just going to give myself a hug. I'm just going to, you know, rub my hands up and down my arms. Um, I'm just going to put my hand on my heart, or I'm just going to hold my face in my hand. It seems so simple and kind of silly. I mean, it does kind of seem silly. Um, I thought it was silly at first, but you know, what would I do to my child if she comes home and had a horrible day at school? I would just rest her head on my chest. I would just hold her hand, her face. I love you. I would pat her on the back. I just can't reach my back because I'm not flexible enough. That's just creating warm, supportive touch. And that, you know, to me, deep breaths are great. That just kind of took it to a different level for me. 
And that's just a simple, one of the simple little exercises. And these are research-based. So that is definitely a thing that we can do as far as what can we do to go from here? You know, take advantage of some of those self-compassion exercises. Learn, practice talking to yourself like you would a good friend. If I start having that critical self-talk to say, okay, hold on, Lauren. Do other people make mistakes? Yeah. What can I learn from this? You know, learning to respond to yourself with empathy. Acknowledge your frustration and respond to yourself with empathy. I don't have to pretend I'm not frustrated. Like, this is really frustrating right now. And actually, I feel like exploding right now. That would make sense. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm not going to explode right now. This is, we all go through difficult times. Like, just learning to change how we talk to ourselves. And there's even... um on the website, there is a self-compassion break. It's like um, even has it as an MP3 file that you can download. Little things like that, have those in your back pocket. Have those um, as resources that you can turn to. So, um, and that mindful self-compassion, tons and tons and tons and tons of research, including videos that you can watch that kind of explain it. Because when my grad school professor introduced us to that, we didn't have time to watch all that stuff in class, but I did. I started looking at that and it was really cool. Now, how do we use this at work or home? Teach kids to talk to themselves in a kinder way when they mess up. What a marvelous mistake. I'm also going to share with you, I have on my Google Drive, um, I have on my Google Drive, all these really cool, mindful, calming activities that you can do with kids. At our school, we had um, calm corners in classrooms so that when kids really are feeling overwhelmed, now I've got a place to go that I can actually calm down. You know, instead of just saying, you're all right, you're all right, you're all right. Well, they're not all right. Just say, yeah, I can see you're really frustrated right now. Yeah, that's that's difficult when you're angry. Yeah, I can see that. You know, just learning to respond with that empathy right there sometimes diffuses the big explosive balloon. You know, even watching movies like Inside Out that make a cartoon character out of emotions and that all the emotions have a job. Being sad or being angry aren't bad emotions. They're just emotions. And they're just a part of our range of emotions. We can't be happy all the time. Um, and you know, when they're having difficult feelings and their brain is starting to be flooded with adrenaline and cortisol, teaching them calm down breathing techniques, having calm down box. I referred to this in the anxious class, you know, that's full of really cool little things, you know, just simple little things, you know, little fuzzies, little, little, whatever. Um, but teaching them breathing techniques so they don't need you to guide them through it. Box breathing is a great one. Teaching kids, and this is actually on that Google doc that you'll get a link to teaching kids, you know, how to breathe in the shape of a box. I'm going to box. I'm going to breathe in for four, hold it. Breathe out for four, hold it. That box breathing is actually used by Navy SEALs. When they're in stressful situations, they've taught them box breathing because it resets the brain. One of our track coaches at my Jake's, she, because she's been learning about different breathing techniques for her athletes, they get the jitters when they're waiting for it to be their event. She's taught them to cycle through different cycles. Okay, do four box breathings just to reset their brain. Our brain can't help itself. When we do these different kinds of things, it's automatically programmed to respond in a positive way. But the problem is, is we often don't know how to do these things. We try to think our way out of everything. 
And the brain, one part of the brain is the thinking brain, but that's not the biggest part of the brain. We also have the midbrain where all our emotions and memories stored. We have our amygdala, which is our fight or flight thing. There's multiple parts of the brain. Sometimes doing these structured breathing activities helps us access different parts of the brain, helps us calm down the amygdala so our thinking brain can actually work. You know, even helping kids identify how they feel, you know, teaching them words for their emotions can be really helpful. Me learning words for my emotions. If you really feel stuck in a lot of negative emotions, you know, talking to a therapist can be a gift to yourself. It sometimes just helps you have a different perspective because um, you can't just be, you know, mindful self-compassion is not like, well, have that positive attitude. Yeah, you can have the positive attitude because you can respond to yourself with empathy but we can also be honest with ourselves and be okay to comfortable feelings because it's okay to not be okay. Acknowledge how you feel, not how you should feel. In my world, should is a very nasty word. When I hear the word should, on the other side of should is shame. Should and shame, they go together. And shame is not a great motivator. Step away from social comparison. There's always going to be someone more organized, enthusiastic, creative, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's always going to be someone better than you in some area. When I step away from social comparison and don't put myself through that, what a relief. Embrace where you are now. Learn to show yourself kindness. Recognize everyone's going through struggle. Other people have similar feelings. And, you know, even have, you know, hopefully you do have that supportive friend. Sometimes we don't have that in our circle. A therapist can be a supportive, you know, person who really is, you know, having that, that empathetic, unconditional, positive regard for you. And just learning to accept that you are valuable. You are amazing just the way you are. You are worthy. Not some people are more worthy than others. No, we're all worthy of that. And that's where change can come from when we are responding to ourselves with that mindful self-compassion. I am big on trying to be as practical as we can be, you know, so sometimes something as simple as forming a self-compassion team. If you have a friend, you know, like Aaron's going to send out this presentation, feel free to share it with anybody or the video when that comes out. Um, and maybe you have a buddy or you, you form groups at school or at work that um, you can kind of be checking in on each other. I would recommend taking the self-compassion test in a year or, you know, when summer starts or something, you know, be checking in. How am I doing in this area? Because it was really encouraging for me to see growth. And then as I saw the growth, it's like, wow, and I actually feel different feelings now too. Use that mindful self-compassion website. It has tons and tons and tons and tons of great information. And her stuff is research-based. Research has shown these things. It helps you grow in mindful self-compassion. And man, there's another really, really good book that I highly recommend. That's on my, I started it. It's on to finish over my, the Christmas holiday. Um, but Brene Brown, she is a famous um, researcher, a social, um, social researcher. Um, and she does a lot of research on vulnerability and imperfection and the gifts of that. But she's got a book called The Gift of Imperfection. And that actually, if you really want to live a wholehearted life, which is like a true, calm, present life, you know, it's, these are what she calls her 10 guideposts to that wholehearted living. One of them is cultivating self-compassion, which is the other side of that is letting go of perfectionism. Perfectionism is a beast. So that gifts of imperfection, that 
could be a gift you give to yourself um, for the holidays or listen to it on audiobook while you're driving to work or on your phone when you're going for a walk or whatever it might be. Um, but these kinds of ways of changing, it's not about use every second of every minute of every day to be productive. That doesn't bring peace. Now, it's okay to be productive because some of us are wired. We have, there's different personality types and we like our to-do lists and our, and our checklists. But can you love yourself if you don't meet all the things on your checklist? It's just this being able to learn to be kind to ourselves. It doesn't just help us. It helps everyone around us. It changes the air in the room because you already know how to be a good friend. It's just learning how to be a good friend to yourself. I think is a really important skill for us to learn, especially with the holidays coming up, having those realistic expectations and remembering how to be a good friend to yourself. Everyone around you will benefit from that. So Oklahoma Family Network have all sorts of really cool events. So actually, if you just go to their website and that's the great thing, like Oklahoma Family Network, the, the whole founding principle is we want to connect people to other people who are going through similar things. Let's let's help um, connect people to resources. You're going to find that the things that you struggle with, they become your superpower because especially if we learn to not just hide and in shame, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I ever had any problem ever, but acknowledge that, heal from it, grow from that. But when I say some of the hard things that I've gone through are the best, worst things that ever happened to me, well, it developed empathy and compassion. And my boys are strong, resilient, empathetic, compassionate young men because of struggle. It's not about avoiding the struggle. No, it doesn't mean let's go create chaos for ourselves, but, you know, people connect to vulnerability. The struggle you have now could be the gift and inspiration that someone else will have along the way. And that kind of an, of an outlook is, is much more um, thoroughly developed if we have, if we really grow in that mindful self-compassion. So I hope that it helps you like it really did help me. And there's some other things next semester too that we'll be doing. They, they do some really cool stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405 271 5072